Hey everyone, I'm Jonathan. I'm Jeremy. And we are the Evangelicals. Today, we are going to be talking about a cultural transition that is happening in the evangelical church in America. And this conversation is going to be vast because there are a lot of changes that are happening. Uh, so just to give you kind of a, a sense of where the conversation is going and maybe some limits or parameters of what we're going to be talking about, today we're going to be talking about aesthetics of the church. So that means like the way the way that people, that we... Um, I guess, organize our sanctuaries in times of worship. Uh, we're going to be talking about the mission of the church, kind of the way that we are doing uh, discipleship, you know, Sunday school, um, and outreach. So those are kind of the things that we're going to be talking about today, is, is how is the church shifting right now? If you've been listening to our podcast, you know that a couple of podcasts ago, I think it was Jeremy, I think it was you that brought up the significant innovation of the internet. Yeah. Like we were talking about how we just all ought to admit that we are in a strange historical moment where in the same way that the Reformation happened after the printing press and that the printing press really just, it brought on this massive change because of this wide dissemination of information that in many ways the internet has brought us into a new age that we don't even recognize all that it's doing to us. And it usually takes a while to figure out, because usually there's probably like a big uptick, there's a, a leveling out of what that looks like, and then it takes a while to figure out what does it mean to be the church, what does it mean to be, you know, I even think like school systems, and I think the whole world is trying to figure out how do we do this now in the education age that we, yeah. yeah education all of it is how do we do this in with the new um cultural landscape that we find ourselves in so i don't know that it's just the church that's it's trying not. to figure this out i think we're as a culture trying to figure out what is the new what does it look like and so maybe and maybe that's a better way to to encompass the conversation would be to say that today's conversation we're talking about how in our cultural moment the church is innovating or changing. So I want to I want to give a little a little historical overview of the decades leading up to the pandemic. So I think I think it would be it's important to note that the world changed drastically in the fifties and sixties. Let, let's just talk about the United States of America. America changed drastically in the fifties and sixties. In that, in the fifties and sixties, superhighways become a reality. So it used to be very, very difficult to get to travel, you know, 50 to 100 miles mm. back and forth in a day. You know, and, and we seriously, we don't think about that. Yeah. But people traveling 50 to 100 miles in a day previous to super highways to interstates, it just didn't happen all the time. Yeah. And now people do that for a daily commute to work. Right. You know, I mean, it's it's really crazy. But also, while at the same time, while that's happening, the TV is becoming mainstream. People are getting TVs in their homes. And these two innovations cat catapulted us into the megachurch world. Simultaneous with the, with the mega, with superhighways and the invention of the TV, 
Coming back from World War II, the generation having children wanted to raise their children in church. And in the 19... People think that the 1960s was the most godless decade of American history. It wasn't. Mm. In, a, in As far as church attendance is concerned, the highest rate of church attendance in American history happened in the 1960s. Um, two-thirds of people in the United States were attending church regularly on Sundays in the 1960s. Like, we... That is crazy. Yeah. That is crazy, man. There are 150 churches in, in Lima. And the reason that there are 150 church buildings in Lima is because there was a moment in, in American history where those were actually full. Right. Like where the town of Lima of 30,000 people actually needed that many spaces for Christians to get together and worship. And we don't even, like we, our minds cannot conceive of that because a regular church attender to us is somebody who shows up once a month. Right. It's yeah. crazy, man. It is crazy. You go to the, even these small towns, like even just my county and my the little village I live in, like, you know, there's a Methodist church, a First Christian church, a Baptist church, a Nazarene, a Presbyterian, a Catholic, a Methodist. I mean, you know, and in a town of a village of 3,500 people, we have, and there's an independent church, a Pentecostal church. I mean, just well, Sure, it's American. Great. You got all these independent churches. <laughs> like, good grief. Yeah. And where I feel like before that, there was one church in the middle of a town that everybody went to yes. potentially, and it was a form of community and kind of centered the community and was something that was uh, integral to the life of the community. You um, think about like the scenes from shows like Little House on the Prairie where the of the meeting house, just demonstrating what you're just saying. It's the school building. It's the church. Like there's this building that's in the middle of the town and it just serves as the kind of catholic or not it's the parish it's the yeah, yeah, it's yeah, the yeah. center of the community right well so then tv culture advertisement culture super highways uh there there are several innovators that recognized if i can have the most flashy church product to be consumed then people will travel and come to my church and really in the 60s and 70s is when we find a denominational loyalty becoming less important mm -hmm. to Protestants particularly. Right. And all of these uh, non-denominational or quasi-denominational, like for example, Willow Creek is had associations with the Dutch Reformed Church. People don't realize that because Willow Creek eventually in the 80s, I mean, it, in the 90s, it kind of dwarfed the denomination in popularity, right? Many churches that are that are large have had historical uh, denominational ties, but what happens is that the the individual uh, the individual church, uh, the local expression, it becomes bigger or more popular because there's a, you know a celebrity pastor or they have you know some really amazing building or something like this, and so so leading us up to the pandemic. So the, the 80s and 90s were really the heyday of the growth of megachurches. Mm -hmm. And then in the early 2000s, uh, I, I think about what happened. So in the, in the 80s and 90s, the megachurch did not look uniform. There were various kinds of megachurches. So like Lima Community Church, for example, was built a massive, a big, our big sanctuary in 1994. And it had an orchestra pit. And it had seats for an 80 voice choir, okay? And, and it was, you know, considered kind of a part of this megachurch movement. Well, various, various large churches kind of had their own character 
you know, in the Brooklyn Tabernacle on the one hand was really popular in a genre of music, but then you also had this, you know, Willow Creek that was doing more of a rock and roll drama type of thing. And what's interesting, like, so I grew up at Lyman Community Church and we were, we kind of lived in both worlds. We had this big, we had this big gospel choir, yeah. you know, kind of following the Brooklyn Tab trend, but we also did, you know, like the dramas and this type of thing. So it was like this, this, this hodgepodge between like this, the big Southern majestic church thing, the Brooklyn Tab over here and the, you know. Well, in the early 2000s, what happened in church culture is everything became uniform. Uh, you get like you get like Life Church North Point in Atlanta, and it's like you know what we're all going rock and roll. Mm-hmm. And this is the worship wars where in the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, we're bringing drums into every sanctuary, whether or not the sanctuary aesthetically could handle drums, you know, or right, acoustically right, right, could right, right. Ha- or acoustically could handle drums. We were bringing in drums because yeah. that's what the church does now. You know, yeah. drums and electric guitars. Well, what's interesting is, you know, so, uh, you know, people spray paint their sanctuaries black. They bring in LED lights. You got smoke, you know, all this stuff. Well, then the pandemic happens and nobody's there. Yeah. Furthermore, you get a generation of people, the X and Y, the generation X, generation Z, Y and Z. What's going on now, Jeremy? Yeah. Y, Z, Z. Z, yeah, yeah. What, I mean, good. Who knows? Whatever. What, and these people, they live. They live. You know, their lives in their in their phones and on their screens, and they're they think to themselves, you know, if I want to go to a rock show, I'll go to a rock show, mm-hmm. or I'll watch a video of a rock show. What is the church? And they're desiring deeply, like an authentic, real experience that they don't get anywhere else, right? And so where the church and the megachurch movement was trying to like attract people culturally by giving them, by giving them experiences, you know, of, of video and drama and music and lights and all this kind of stuff. Well, now everybody has it at their fingertips and they're kind of over it, yeah. you know? Yeah. And aesthetically, uh, I, I just, I just, part of the reason why I'm in this conversation, I just went to a conference and the creative director for, for Saddleback Church, the mega church in California was there and Saddleback just got rid of all of their black and all of their, 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 uh, darkness and they open up their sanctuary with windows so that there can be a, a breeze and they're not interested anymore in just controlling the lighting all the time but it's more it has a very organic bright open feel and people love it <laughs> <laughs> and they're not creeped out and it doesn't feel like they're going to a cult anymore and i was at this tech conference with all these people who are spending you know tens of thousands of dollars on led walls and they're like well what do we what do we do <laughs> It's like put well, a landscape on that LED wall. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So now you're artificially projecting, yeah, an an, an organic, an organic scene in, a, in the most non-organic way. You yeah, know? I mean, so the irony is hilarious. Oh, it's beautiful. But there's this shift going on in the church right now that people we've put so much money, so much money into fake aesthetics, right? And there's a generation longing for something that's real. Yeah. And it's shaking up the church and it's messing with people's minds and their hearts and <laughs> maybe not their hearts as much. Tech tech people's hearts are, are being messed yeah, with. Yeah, crushed. Crushed. What do you think? What do you think? What are you seeing? What are you feeling in the church right now? No, I definitely feel the 
that this culture is is not into the polished anymore. They want the authentic. And I think the reason, one of the reasons I think they're looking for the at, well, I think it's a lot, but I think one thing in our culture right now in America, if we're just talking about America, is they feel like everything they're fed through social media or through the news, they don't know if they can trust it. And so they're looking for something that they know they can trust and that they know that people are real and they know they're not trying to lie to them. There's no hidden hidden agenda. Feels like in our political world, there's always a hidden agenda. Yes. And and so they're looking for places that they can come and just know that what they're seeing is what they're actually getting. That's a great insight. Um, so I think that's part of it. Is is there's there's this, and so the fake, the polish, the smoke, the lights, the that like that all reeks of potentially. Why are you having to polish all this? What are you not telling me? Why are you trying to make this look like it's all put together in this perfect little um, nugget of whatever you're trying to feed me? rather than it being a little messy because their life isn't put together it is messy and 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 so if we're trying to give them something that that doesn't resemble their life or give credence to what they're actually living um then they they're, they're going to feel like you're trying to hide something you're trying to portray something that maybe isn't actually true um if god can't meet me in the messiness of my life then what kind of what kind of a god is that and and so if it's just about the polished if it's just about the well to do the put together the whatever and so i feel like that's part of it is is i feel like the church is feeling this 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 um angst because people especially the young people aren't coming um, and so then it begs the question, well, then why are there so many big churches? Why is this, why are they doing well? Why is there, um, this understanding that maybe that we got to this point at this time in the eighties and nineties where these big churches were just blowing up all over. And I think, I think what I would, why I think that happened is, you know, we've talked about how every 500 years, there's a shift, like a printing press, a, a internet. And I think that that it takes that long. And once you get to that point, you're really good at doing the old thing. So, and, and at that time in history, we figured out how to really do that. Well, the hard part is, is that you're at the end of whatever that era was and you're beginning something new. And so you're, you figured out what it looks like to reach those people. You figured out how to do it the best and the hard part for churches is, is when things are going well and budgets are paid and money's coming in, it's hard to think ahead and say, okay, this is working really well now, but what is the next thing? How do we understand that culture is shifting and what we're doing right now um, isn't what's going to be sustainable or isn't what's going to reach the next generation? And so I feel like we've come to the end of a 500-year period, you might say. So we know how to do the modernity thing really well we've got it figured out because we've had 500 years to figure it out the hard part is is now we're transitioning to something different and so all these churches that built these giant buildings to house all these people are now thinking what the crap do we do with these all this these facilities that now we have to heat and cool and and invest in that aren't full anymore um, with people that it once was full at, okay. at a particular place in time. You just, you just made a, a just a, you kind of blew my mind. And I, I want to say out loud what I heard you say, and maybe have you kind of kick it back to me. So you said, <laughs> we've spent 500 years figuring this out. What I heard you say was, so the Reformation happens 
in the West. Now, I'm going to make a generalization that there will always be exceptions to the generalization. Absolutely. Okay, I'm aware We're of this, that. Yeah, absolutely. But in the Reformation West, it was just understood that everyone was Christian. Mm. Okay? It, you, you didn't function in society in the West if you weren't Christian, if you weren't Catholic. Okay? That, part of the reason the Reformation happened is because Luther was saying, no, I'm telling the truth, and you're trying to tell me that I'm not. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not gonna, you're not going to be the authority that trumps the word of God for me and trumps my conviction, okay? He, he, was, he essentially said in his actions, you can be a Christian without being connected to the church. Hmm. We, have, we have spent 500 years in Protestantism with that as one of our fundamental understandings. I can be Christian with my personal faith without the church. But but the thing is, I also have this conviction, though, that if I'm going to say that I'm a Christian, then I need to be associated with the church. So what modernity did is we started asking the question, how do we attract these Christian people to our churches? The result of the Protestant Reformation became church as individual pursuit, church as a marketing campaign, church as attraction. And so... I have no problem with the people from the church across town coming to my church because they find my service more attractive. That's wrong. (laughs) Like it's wrong and we ought to admit that it's wrong, but we can't admit that it's wrong because it's how we pay the bills. Well, I think too that, so I, yeah. And I would push that even further with this whole idea of, of the modern understanding and the enlightenment was, was this understanding that humanity we are going to figure out what's going to create this utopia. We, yes. can, we can, we can get it all yes. together. We can put it all together. We Humanism can, dominates yes, humanity. Exactly right. And so there was this, this understanding of this meta narrative that, that was embracing all of humanity that we're working towards this thing. And yes. we're going to cure all the diseases. We're going to figure out how to live longer. We're going to do all this thing. But there was also some authority um, to, to, social structures and churches that were part of a social structure. And so people um, trusted the pastor. The pastor had a different position back then that what the pastor said, people believed it. It was because there was this overarching narrative that, that the church, that society, that everybody was working towards a better human being. Um, well, then you have the postmodern movement who then try, who, who um, not criticize the word, but, that challenges challenges that, that authority and that a narrative and that that understanding yes. and so then you have the the crippling and the breaking down of of what that looks like and so you have these churches that are just booming but once the authority and the overarching narrative once again it's called the meta narrative is the 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 technical term but this overarching narrative is deconstructed is is found to have holes put in it no longer is it about having the big thing now it's about how do I invest in my local community and where you would have these churches that were huge of people driving in and being and going to a church that wasn't in their community that had, didn't really care about those things that once again, the old, old, old school model where the church was the center of the community, um, people didn't want to drive for the show. People didn't want to drive. They wanted to be connected to the people in their town and in their places and, and they wanted their 
potential their their worship. And I think what they found out, unfortunately, is because of this meta narrative, is humanity's going to figure it out. There was this: we've got to leave the city, we got to leave, we're going to go to the suburbs, and there was this this almost. Um, unfair thought that we don't need to invest in our communities. We don't because we're all working towards this greater story, this greater narrative. And the church became its own kind of bubble, its own kind of separate thing apart from the community. And I think this younger generation is like, if the church is going to have a voice, if the church is going to be relevant, I hate that word, but not relevant in the sense of we're cool, we're hip, but more relevant to engaged. Engaged. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I feel like they're more concerned about is how is the world different because the church is here? Yes. Not um How is the church affecting the world? Yeah, exactly right. And 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 so part of it I think was a bad eschatology a, as well. Like let's just do this big church thing, let's get as many people in here because we're leaving this place. It was the escapist mentality. It doesn't matter what's happening around us, we can leave the inner city and and whatever, you know, the church kind of evacuated that whole thought. Now there's this move to get back to the city, you know. And so it's interesting how it all kind of comes around. But I think for me, we started doing church really well because we were at the end of a time when we understood what that looked like. The part the church failed at is to understand that the culture was actually changing and how do we shift and adapt to that. And so I feel like it is more connected to the earth. It is more connected to creation. It is more connected to each other. And if they can't feel that connection then they're going to go find a smaller place actually where they can feel that connection and and be a part of something that is is more um yeah more connected i so guess so you said those. you said something that was very interesting uh a little bit back in your monologue that also took my mind to a different place you said that coming out of protestant kind of coming out of the reformation in modern times, the pastor becomes the one with authority. The pastor has great authority. If great authority in the community, God speaks through the pastor, right? Will really elevate the, the position of the pastor. Well, then the last 30 years, the last 40 years have happened where, I mean, name for me a major pastor that has not had some sort of moral, mm-hmm. ethical, monetary failing or indulgence mm-hmm. um well you billy, just said billy Willow, graham, Willow billy graham, creek is not filling up that big oh, that, auditorium no because anymore. the whole thing with the bibles yeah uh, billy graham might be the only person on that sh- on a short list and i even hesitate saying his name because i don't want to i don't want to like know, there were some other things potentially that were moral him. failures but that were yeah but you know but but the thing is, what secular society looks at the church is like, okay, your authority was in your pastor, but your pastors are, they're, they're molesting people, they're taking excessive amounts of money, they're building gargantuan homes, they're like, you know, all of this, all of this, the, the, authority, the authority in the senior pastor has been robbed because the pastors have been wolves. They have yeah. been egomaniacs, yeah. which is, you know, this is also biblical in the sense that, you know, Jesus tells us that there will be, you know, wolves. Which is why I think we need to listen to people like Nietzsche and and not just write them off because they're atheists or they're whatever. Uh, it's speaking against the church. We need to listen because I think they actually have something for us to hear about where do we go from here? 
No, Nietzsche is right. Nietzsche is right. When he says God is dead, we have killed him. Yeah. We have killed the reputation of God in the world with the way that we have acted in the church. And if I, I don't, uh, it was Brennan Manning who says the greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians. And that's, that's what Nietzsche, that's all that Nietzsche, that's what Nietzsche was saying. Absolutely. Like we, we quote Brendan Manning. No. And we're like, oh, this is brilliant. Right. It's like, you guys, Nietzsche, that, that, you know, guy that you call an atheist that, you know, sent us into postmodernism. He said the exact same thing. Like right. that's the exact same thing he was saying. And we're like, oh, well he does. And, and, but yet I think that there's a word there, you know, and it makes me think of like the Gandhi quote that I love your Jesus, but I don't like your Christians because your Christians are nothing like your Jesus or whatever. And I think that, that we have to be able to hear that and understand not just write them off because they say something that, that hurts us or that we don't like because we don't like self-reflection or we don't like to really take a deep look at who we are and what we're doing. But I think that, that we have to be able to understand that, that, while the Enlightenment and the Reformation brought a lot of good things, there was also some things that I think that that weren't um, as helpful to us. And when we can be honest with it, and when we can, like the whole individualism, the whole thing, like it, it pushed us towards a, 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 an understanding of our Christianity, our faith, um, this dualistic nature with the church and creation and culture that I think is very unhealthy. And I think we're feeling that. And so I think... The transition, you know, what you felt at the media conference, and we were talking about the irony of the whole thing, calling it a media conference, and we're trying to get anti-media more and more and more in the yeah. church, which is just so funny to me. Um, I think that feel, once again, is all of these things, the the distrust of po politics, the distrust of news, the distrust of social media, the distrust of... So people we have to figure out where the authority lies within our community. And right now we just don't know um, what that looks like. And that's why I feel like we feel very disjointed. That's why I feel like we feel very divided. That's why we feel like we feel very disconnected from each other. And I, f I feel like this is a great time for the church to be a different voice. The problem is is we um, want to look at the successes of the mega church and the big church and say, well, we should do what they do because what 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 was that? And we lack the imagination to try to to look at culture, um, not in a critical way, but look at culture in such a way that we are engaging with it and um, trying to understand it in 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 a way that not let's do what they do, but what are what is drawing people. And does the church have a voice in the midst of that that is potentially different? Does the church have an expression? Maybe that's a better question in the midst of where our culture is. And I just believe with all my heart, it's not going to look like what it has. And, um, and we have to be able to have some creative, imaginative conversations that we kind of everything's up for grabs as far as how we've done church and saying it's all on the table. We know that the thing that isn't on the table is Jesus Christ, crucified, dead, buried, you know, Apostles' Creed, whatever form of faith conversation or declaration you want to have. Um, that's not what we're talking about. But we're talking about the expression of how do we, how do we engage with the gospel, the good news, because I think our culture is just craving it. And unfortunately, they don't always find authenticity 
and those people who call themselves Christians because we have also sold our soul to a, a political agenda, a political ideology, an understanding of what's best for what we think is best for America and not what's actually best for the world. So I want to go back to, I want to go back to the per- perception in humanism um, th- before, uh, I don't know if we're going to have time to get to politics. <laughs> I'm not um, saying we should. I'm just yeah. saying, I think that play, it definitely well, plays into it. So, so one of the, one of the, um, one of the things you said about, about modernism. So I, I was listening to a thinker, a British author, and I forget his name. Paul something I, I'm sorry that I don't have it readily available but he he said something that I've I've heard before it's not just original with him but it the way he said it a couple weeks ago it just struck me when I was listening to him he said you know the project of modernity was to replace God hmm. um of humanism is you know we don't need God so yeah. we so we we it's the <clears throat> counting crow song big yellow taxi we cut down all the trees and we put them in a tree museum you know, and we charge we charge people dollars just to see them, and you know, so God gives us trees. And what do trees do? They clean the air, and we know this from biology. It's, you learn this in second or third grade, right? Well, photosynthesis. Yeah, right. I mean, this is this is how God like this is the natural way that God gives us clean air. It's it's an amazing thing. Well, we we cut down all the trees, and now technologically, we're trying to figure out how to clean the air so that we can keep cutting down trees and doing these godless things, ignoring the fact that creation starts in a garden mm. where plants got a day to rest. like an entire, they got an entire day to be created. Like they're like, oh, yeah. they're like important. Yeah. You like fish important. Yeah. You know, like birds important. You know, like, like if you read creation, you know, man is, you know, created on day six with this important responsibility of tending. Mm-hmm. To these things that God created. Well, in modernity, we we realized I can make capital profit by exploiting all of the things that God created. The more oil I pull out of the ground, the greater profits I can make. The more trees that I cut down, the greater profits I can make. Right? I mean, this is the project. Modernity. Modernity was about really moving individuals away from the hard work mm. of actually you know, sustaining themselves and their families by working the earth and coming up with this industrial techno complex where I can sit in my house, you know, within my, in my air conditioning on my couch and look at a screen and get work and get money in my, my bank account and get money and get money in my bank account and then get food shipped to my door that I'm completely disconnected from, but that can sustain me. And the matrix is very troubling because the matrix, I mean, so what, what is life about? Do we all just lay in this comatose state, you know, and just use our minds to, to just kind of imagine this virtual reality? But that's, that is in some ways what we're moving toward. And while the, what the church has done is we've seen all this and we've said, oh, that's where secular society is moving. So we got to do it too. We got to get cameras. We got to get all this kind of stuff. We got to get VR, man. So, and the thing is, there's this deep longing the spiritual longing that people have in our age and they look at the church and they're like, wait a second. I, I don't want what I can get in the world. Mm. I am deeply longing for some other sort of spiritual connection. What the problem was is in worship is what we in, in, in the Bill Hybels movement toward attraction and toward entertainment is that we turned worshipers into passive observers and consumers of entertainment. Mm-hmm. And what we do not realize 
is that people don't want that anymore. Yeah. Like they don't want it. The elderly people that grew up in that, they still want it. And they're the one paying the bills and they're the ones with really strong opinions. Mm -hmm. So we're still doing it for them. Yeah. But we need to realize their children aren't coming to church. Right. This may seem strange and very harsh and we might lose some followers, but again, we're not being funded so I can say whatever I want. I would not, if I were you, pastor, take advice from someone whose children don't go to church mm. about the tr direction of where you should do with your church. Mm. I mean, I'm dead serious. Yeah. But we do this all the time yeah. because we're worried that if we don't entertain them, that we're going to you know, not get their money. I mean, be bold. Don't worry about your paycheck. Worry about the trajectory of the church. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. That, yeah. It brings to mind a couple things. We have uh, a little, an elderly lady with, and she has disabilities and she sits on the second row every Sunday and, and every now and then she'll get up and, and talk in church. And um, if she's got something and, and we have a term for it and um, some people She's hard to understand. Um, she's hard to um, sometimes. And so, which is fine. So I've had some people say, what do we do about that? And I'm like, nothing. Like, life's messy. And, and that lady is just as much a part of this community yes. as I am. And yes. if she wants, feels that God yes, is asking is. her to get up and speak, why would I shut that down? Why do I think I'm so important just because I have a microphone? that she doesn't get a voice in this community. Or yeah, because you speak really articulately and have master's yeah. degrees. Yeah, and so like I this. just let her go. And, and people are like, should we talk? I'm like, no, because the moment we shut her down, we no longer are, are an authentic community where everybody's voice matters. Yes. And so is it awkward on Facebook? Yeah, but am, am I doing church for Facebook or am I doing church for the people who are sitting in the pews? And and she's sitting there. And it was funny because Dave Dooley, um, Jr.'s on a sabbatical and he was in church Sunday. And that's why she got up. And he was mortified that she spent all this time talking about all these memories she had of Dave Dooley Jr. And she's, he's like, it just kind of shut down the service. I'm like, maybe, or maybe it was what needed to happen that day. You know, like maybe it was all right. And um, and so I just think that we we if things don't go exactly like their plan, if things, something happens or somebody gets up and does something that is not on the script that we think that, that somehow it's shutting it down, but maybe that's the very essence of what it means to be a part of a community. Okay. So I would argue that what you did on Sunday and allowing that to happen was something, was, was something that, that Jesus would probably have also done. But the thing is we have learned in seminary not to let that happen like like we have it's just interesting that that you bring up that example because really we have been teaching students to program and control and the the thing is jesus is the if Jesus was programming and controlling everything, we would have none of the stories of the New Testament. And he was interrupted like every, all the time. Every story interruption. is a desperate interruption of somebody who didn't have a voice. Yes. <laughs> yes. And Jesus said, hold on. Hold on. Somebody touched me. Yeah. Stop. Hold on. Hold on. Let the little children come to me yeah. and do not hinder them. You don't see them as people, but guess what? I do. Yeah. I mean, that, that, it's just, it's interesting that you bring that up because I, you know, there are probably people listening to this podcast that think to my, that think to themselves, um, well, Jeremy, that works at Paulding. 
because, you know, you're a small church. And, well, I've never heard of Pauling. So, you know, that would never work at my church, you know, because we're sophisticated and we, <laughs> you know, we do programming and we're bringing in the masses, Jeremy. And if you wanted to bring in the masses, Jeremy, you know, you wouldn't let that stuff happen. Right. I mean, like, yeah, like that's like listening. It's, it's just so, it's so, um, imagine, imagine a world in which there are no mega churches because everyone just is a church in their neighborhood and everyone has a voice then because we're not worried about the entertainment of the masses. Imagine that kind of utopic We've vision. We've become part of the <laughs> Christian pop culture without even realizing it. Oh, totally. And so I think that, so I don't know. I'm not saying I'm right or wrong. I'm just saying for me, and I, I just tell people, and not a lot, but a few people, when they say something to me, I'm like, listen, as long as I'm the pastor here, if you wanted to get up and say something, guess what? I'd let you get up and talk to you. And just she's, she's just as much part of this community as anybody else. And so she may do it on a more consistent basis. She doesn't do it all the time, but it, it's the minute I start telling people they can or can't share in church, we cease to be an authentic place where people can find a voice and find like they can be heard. And, and, and so it plays out most often in this lady and she's, she's awesome. She had, had to go turn on her air conditioner last night cause she didn't know how to get it on, yeah. you know, like it's just, so I, but I think too, another thing that, that it, the shift I think we have to make, and I'm going to um, tell st another story um, real quickly, but I think that this is where I, another shift that we have to think imaginatively, imaginatively and creatively about being present where we are. So um, we're not going to get into this, and we talked about how we didn't want to talk about it, but this is what the story is, is a few week, uh, a little over a week ago, the Roe v. Wade thing got leaked or whatever. This is this is not going to be about yeah. that. Not going to be about that. But um, We may do a podcast about that, though. We might. You know. But everybody's talking about it, so you sure. don't need to hear our voices on there. Like, <laughs> I mean, just, we'll give you a break. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I had heard the news late Monday night because I I'm I staying up way too late these days because the NBA playoffs are on. I love the NBA playoffs. Who's your team? Um, so the Hawks are my team. They're out. So I'm a big bandwagon Golden State fan. Are you? Um, okay. I love watching them. I love the Celtics. I think they're fun to watch. They're fun to watch. So um, okay. So I'm just watching. Anyways. Uh, so the next morning, Tuesday morning, um, one of the the young guys in my church text me is like, guess what I just heard on the radio? And I was like, Oh great. Here we go. Like, I bet I could guess. And he goes, all right, what do you think it is? He's like, it was on WBCL, which is a Christian radio station. I was like, well then that just solidified it. I knew exactly what he was talking about. I thought I did. I was like, well, I'm guessing it has to do with uh, the courts, the Supreme court or whatever. And the Roe v. Wade. And um, he's like, no, he's like, what is that about? And so I was like, blah, blah, blah. He's like, no, He's like, I just heard the song, Build Your Kingdom. And uh, I think about when we sing it in church and how awesome it is. And you guys do it better than, than Ring Collective. I was like, no, we don't. But, and um, that's high praise, Jeremy. And so I said, it was a moment for me, knowing that this was going to bring about so much division and so much talking, so many tweets. It was a moment for me the next morning that God said to me, what you really need to be about is just building the kingdom. Don't worry about all of the stuff that's going to be talked about. Don't worry about all of the things. Cause the moment you start getting focused on all of that yeah, stuff, yeah. my call to you is just to build the kingdom and Pauline. And so that little text, it's like, now build your kingdom. And God was like, see, that's, that's, that's what the world is actually looking for. Wow. Not your opinion on Roe v. Wade. 
Um, but are, is your church, your, your job doesn't change. Your job is still to love unwed teenage mothers, potentially who are pregnant. And your job is still to love your community. Your job is no matter what's happening in the courts or the laws or the whatever, if the gospel really is good news, then your mission doesn't change because your job is not to just get legislation passed. And you, you, that's not going to change people's hearts. Um, your job is to be a force for the kingdom where you find yourself. And so I feel like that's another shift is with modernity and with this whole arching story is we just think if we can get the right laws and the right people elected and the right whatever, that's what's going to make humanity better. And God has always been about a people of living amongst the people with the good news of the gospel and trying to be about that. And so it was just a, a gentle reminder that I thought this guy was going to tell me that WBCL was talking about what happened with this leaked yeah. message. And he's like, no, build your kingdom. And I was like, oh, okay. I don't know. Yeah. But that's that rethinking what the church is about, what our mission is, how do we be present? How do we be a different, authentic place where people can find hope and healing and reconciliation and forgiveness yeah. that has nothing to do with the bigger understanding of, of even what America is about, but has an understanding of, of who God is calling us to be and, and being real. Once again, we keep using the word authentic, but I think that's what is missing in our culture is you don't know who you can trust. You don't know who to believe. And unfortunately, the church has been a part of that. And with all the things that you said have gone on, all of the things that we've supported candidates that don't fit who Jesus is, you know, um, and and they don't know that they can trust that we're really going to have their best interest as much as we want them to serve some agenda or to serve some understanding of what we're trying to do to help us keep the lights on, to help us whatever, um, keep the machine going, I guess you might say. And um what does it look like to be that authentic voice in our world? Yeah, I I really do hope that I am humble enough in this age to not just hold on to the things that I love about mega churchdom, but that I'm humble enough to to follow the leading of the spirit in this age, because I really do believe that God's spirit is moving and active and is doing something new. Mm. I, I really believe that God is doing something new in the aesthetics and the mission of the church. And I, I want to be a part of it. A part of it. I think that we both do. And that's our prayer for you, even our listener, that you would be open and available willing to listen to the leading of the spirit in these days as God is doing something new among us to be continued. The Evangelicals podcast is recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. 